This episode of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live is brought to you in part by Viewfinders Identity Search and Design. Your choice for web design, graphic design, and all multimedia development needs. Visit VFISAD.com and let us bring your vision to reality. This is Kyle Abair, the voice of Ryu from Street Fighter VI. You're listening to ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. Let us begin. Shiza! Shinku Hadouken! It's time. Talk time. Let's go. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime, comics, movies, and games. Come on and let's get it. Talk time. Live. Started in the 80s with Matt Cross. Dudes in the hood might have called that soft, but I carried that cross like Jesus did. Fast forward, I teach the kids to learn how to let go, live life, and show love to all things that don't matter where y'all from. And luckily, there's a show called Talk Time. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Dax kicks the facts on all the geek news. Special guests and unbiased reviews. Suburban kids, the hipster street dudes, all can learn something new. Me too. I heard words when no faith is empty. I stay the course though my haters tempt me beat the podcast that'll make them envy it ain't too trendy it's acmg anime comics movies and games that come on and let's get it talk time anime comics movies and games that come on and let's get it talk time anime comics movies and games that come on and let's get it talk time anime comics movies and games that come on and let's get it talk time gentlemen welcome back to the journal of my life that covers all things anime comics movies and games this is acmg presents talk time live the prime show i am your host xavier josiah and i'm gonna own up right now um not having the best of moods in terms of uh my life right now because something something major happened this week that um it's putting a damper on things and you know it's raining here in philadelphia i think that is raining for a reason and at this point i want to dedicate this episode to mrs rose maxine goodman uh a neighborhood friend of my past and uh i'll just leave it at that at least until the end of this program because i don't want to put this whole entire episode in a damper but um yeah this is uh it's gonna be a really really interesting week i hope everybody that is listening right now is having a better week than i am that other people are having right now um i hope you're safe i hope you're happy i hope that you know you're healthy right now but we're gonna get through this episode and talk about what we love best get us through the uh the day talking about our favorite fandoms here and uh we got a lot to talk about this week because this is combat week this is countdown to combat week mortal kombat one is coming this Thursday for those who brought the bundle and um, on the 19th, Tuesday the 19th for those who just brought the base one. I brought both. Uh, PS5, I brought the base and the Nintendo Switch, I brought the whole entire enchilada there. So I am looking forward and mostly, like I said, because I'm gonna be on the, play, the Nintendo Switch more than I probably am the PS5. And plus with me going to New York Comic Con pretty soon, that's gonna be a game I wanna take with me. 
along with the arkham trilogy as well so there's gonna be some um it's gonna be some gaming going on during that weekend and i want to make sure that's why i love the nintendo switch people the nintendo switch is just awesome i know there are other portables out there but the nintendo switch just is more equipped to do the things that we want like the steam deck i would have jumped on a steam deck ages ago but it just there's some questions about steam deck and there's some questionable things right now this is why that it's it's a good system but it's not a great system and it's not a successfully sold system because there's some hiccups with that one maybe if they do the second generation or third generation down the line where it can have better battery life and you know the storage space is better maybe i could do it and there's less hiccups with the operating system from what i understand i will jump on it but it's like i can't pay that much like paying that much money for that system is a flex move and i don't like doing flex moves when it comes to my you know uh to everything that i buy like some things it actually not i can't even say everything is a flex move for me because it's things that i want it's things that i actually like it's things that i feel like are dope and is actually worth the quality and everything i don't think the steam deck or the other especially the other one i forgot the other one the, the asic the axes or whatever that called the ASCII or whatever that came out i heard that was even worse to that stretch i heard i saw reviews of that one um victor lucas of uh electronic uh playground i believe um actually got it and they returned it so he spent his own money he, it was a poop uh review if you will it was a pay out of, a pay out of uh pocket review and basically he said he didn't like it so much he, he had so many he had issues with it that he just returned it and uh he didn't like it it didn't it had some good things but it did have some great things but the nintendo switch it's nintendo folks 100 and, over 130 something years they know what they're doing they've been doing they they created the portable system you know they they do what they're doing so like nintendo switch is an awesome system i got a terabyte full of uh you know um games in there and on top of that like their games are like usually always compressed to fit that format and it does it successfully somehow and it's just always great like i know you want that power i know you want that graphic power and frame rate and all the stuff but nintendo has it too i'm just sorry so i digress we're talking mortal kombat this week and in celebration of the coming of mortal kombat 1 i am going to talk about my top 10 favorite mortal kombat characters now if you watch if you saw the graphic that i designed this week you see that there's a bunch of characters on there that doesn't mean that's the characters i'm choosing i have a specific amount of characters there's some honorable mentions don't get it twisted some of them are the ones that i picked but there's a lot of other ones that i didn't so um don't assume that that's all the people that i picked on here i just wanted to throw some you know throw something up there to throw people off but there's a lot of great characters in mortal kombat but 10 of them i had to pick 10 and i do have some honorable mentions i'm pretty sure i got some honorable mentions there too um but these are the 10 that i picked and we're going to talk about that in our talk topic of the week and the hype of this i've been i decided that i'm going to go full mk you know fandom this week i started watching the ill-gotten animated movies that they came out with i look i've reviewed those movies a while back that was scorpion's revenge and, and uh battle of the realm overall 
I enjoyed them, but I did not like the visual design of it, the character designs of them. Considering it's coming from WB Animation, we've seen them do much better with 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 DC, um, you know, deals. Like, why couldn't they get the same DC animated animated uh, you know, department, animation department, to design that? It looks to me the the character design looked horrible. But the storytelling was really solid and the acting was enjoyable. So I watched it again. I was like, yes, I, I got the same feeling I had before there. So, um, you know, I watched that. I watched Snowblind, which I think is absolutely the best Mortal Kombat animated feature they've ever done. Um, the character, they, they got a better uh, character designer and animator for it. Um, the story was awesome. The twist was great because you didn't know what the hell was going on and how Kano was even able to be the ruler of this new world or whatever, like or this futuristic apocalyptic world that they're in of Earthrealm. And the big twist at the end was just awesome. So I didn't even want to spoil it for anybody because I mean, you, I can't spoil it. But if you haven't watched it yet and you haven't read my review, you know, Go check that one out. That one to me, I watched that yesterday along with the other two, and I felt like that was still the best one. I enjoyed that the most. And when they got to the end of how we figured out how, you know, Kano it was able to be the most powerful dude in the elf in the earth realm, it made so much sense. It was awesome. It's a great, you know, um, multiverse like telling of that story there. So go out anyway, check out Snow Snowblind Snowblind is worth it definitely worth it um i don't know if I'm, how much more mortal kombat stuff i'm gonna watch because i know i definitely want to watch the um the rebooted movie that is coming out i'm thinking of watching the original movie that you know everybody loves so much um the one that they got right the first time before annihilation god that sucked i will not be watching annihilation but i am thinking about watching legacy and i'm thinking about watching uh conquest um, I, Conquest wasn't bad. It was watchable, but let's be real. It wasn't the best thing ever, but considering the times and the storytelling and writing was really good with that one. Um, like Le legacy was just a great artistry piece, you know, collage of different storytellings of mortal Kombat, And I thought that was really well done. It was a YouTube series at first. And I think Netflix got the rights to it or whatever like that. And then Warner brothers end up, you know, taking it over and whatnot because i think i don't i don't know if wb had the rights at the time when that was out you know and license you know it got the rights to license all um, those when it when that was out but um this was i think before mortal kombat 9 which was the reboot of everything going on but that was pretty cool too because they had um michael jai white in there they had the woman who played um i believe lieutenant dax on star trek in there to play Sonya Blade and, and, and Jax, like everybody wanted Michael Jai White to be Jax from the jump. He's just the perfect prototype, prototypical, you know, actor to play Jax. Um, and they, and they did it really good. It was really cool how they put that together. And, uh, you know, a lot of familiar faces from past Mortal Kombat projects was in there too. So I may check that out, but I definitely will rewatch the movie as well. I'm thinking about playing Immortal Kombat 10 and 11 again um leading up to this so i i i'm i'm that much excited i'm a big mortal Kombat fan actually i'm a big fighting game fan 
point blank. So I'm ready for all this, but we also got other news going on in the world. So before we get to combat, let's find out what's new in the world of ACMG. And now it's time to find out what's new in the world of ACMG. Right, folks we're going to start off with my thoughts on tiny tunes luniversity which is a new series starring some of our favorite tiny tune adventure characters in a new setting they're in college now and i grew up loving watching steven spielberg's tiny tunes adventures and this was the this was the first of many steven spielberg warner brothers uh projects that he did that was you know from an animated series he's worked i believe he did taz as well he did of course animaniacs but tiny tune adventures was the very first wb animated project that led to so many other wb projects including batman the animated series justice league um and justice league unlimited batman beyond like it all started it all started with tiny tune adventures and it was just this new level of animation animated uh, animated quality that was brought to back that we haven't seen since the 80s and we got to see it again somewhere around in the 90s because let's be real the 80s in terms of character design and animation style it was so rich it was very rich and i think it was some of the best animation and and, and character design that we've had at that time i'm talking gi joe like sumbo productions that made gi joe and transformers and gem and holograms and um some of the spider the marvel comics uh cart animated series at the time you know incredible hawk spider-man spider-man and his amazing friends stuff like that we got to see a lot of that and humanoids um like i'm talking like some real stuff uh silver hawks thundercats like we had some dope cartoons in the 80s okay then the 90s came and i think it was around the time when Ren and Stimpy came around and Ren and Stimpy was dope, but they had this character design. It was very, you know, comic strippy and cartoony, but it was simplified compared to what we were. But the animation quality was awesome. But this led to other projects, you know, being a little bit different with their style. When when Beavis and Butthead came out and Beavis and Butthead became so successful because of his grungy type of style it was the MTV animated you know project that they did for um liquid television at the time when they did that and it was so successful of course whenever something's uberly successful and majorly successful there are others that's going to try to imitate it and this led to kind of the downfall of animation of animated of great looking animated you know um tv sh cartoons and, and animated shows um Seth MacFarlane were it terms it best as crudely drawn animated shows. And he's not a big fan of it. And not neither am I, because I grew up in some really great, you know, animated shows. And I feel like a lot of shows started budgeting the quality of the shows that they had. So and as you know, later on we had shows like God, let me see. The USA Network tried to, you know, bunch into the video game era and the comic book era during the boom periods and everything so they had 
shows like Wildcats, which was Jim Lee's Wildcats, um, when Jim Lee was working with Image Comics and, you know, Image Comics was so successful, they started coming out with these different projects. Savage Dragon by Eric Larson uh, came out with an animated series and they were all under the USA Network deal. And at the time, they were they were so bad. They were like just animated wise, cartoon, like uh, writing wise, all of it. It was just, it was trash. Um, they also tried to do a Street Fighter cartoon, which you can see on Retro Crush. Retro Crush is a old school anime network, but they have the Street Fighter animated series that was done in America in there. And it was like one of the worst things ever. They also had, they also did a Mortal Kombat animated series on it and it was i think it was animated by the same animation department it was all bad so you had a lot of these different deals and they just the the, the level of animated animation and in in character design declined majorly from the 80s so much so that it led people like myself to discover anime which at the time the only anime that we really saw, but we didn't call it anime, was like Speed Racer, Battle of Planets, aka Gotcha Man, um, you know, stuff like that. Dragon Ball, the original Dragon Ball, actually did air in America, uh, in in around the '80s. But it came this the series, the show. It was a TV special that would come in every every year. It was an annual thing that it would come on. It never came on as a series, so we never got the chance to see the actual full. We in America, because there was no Internet, we didn't know anything about, you know, Akira Toriyama or any of that stuff at the time. It would come on nationally and, you know, um, on a syndicated television and people would always get a chance to see this Dragon Ball special. We would never see. We never knew that it was an ongoing series in Japan. Um, and in fact, the other part was, I think Goku in America had a different gi than the one in Japan. I, I forgot how that goes. I know he wears a blue gi in one of the specials. Then he also wears the orange gi in, 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 in Japan. So that's all we had at the time. You know, Transor Z, our Messenger Z was another one that we had at the time, but we didn't recognize it. It wasn't known as anime at the time. That term was not used during that time when I was growing up in Japanimation was not used at the time, but Japanimation was one of the terms that was used when we started discovering all this other stuff that when we were tape trading, we found, I found stuff like Fist of the North Star. That was me becoming a man. <laughs> okay. Actually, me becoming a man was probably watching Wicked City, but among other things, but, um, you know, we, we started realizing that there's a new, there's another form of animation and art out there in the form of what we now call as anime back then we called it japanimation as well um but the term but the uh term japanimation died out anime remained and it was adopted in the states here and as far as we know like it that term came in 89 um i remember talking with uh it, my, one of my interviews with kyle Abair. um when we were talking about when the term was used in America more, I, you know, we both came to the conclusion that it most likely led around 88, 89. Um, and that's where I discovered it, you know, rest in peace to my, um, to my old friend, John, uh, Javier, who really 
was the one that I got I found out about because he was tape trading. He found these these deals. He was watching Fist of the North Star. And when I watched that and I saw like this highly detailed, beautifully animated, you know, uh movie. And then on top of that, one of the most violent movies I've seen at the time. I've never seen so much detail and people's head exploding and guts and everything. It was like it was mind blowing at the time to see. And then I go over their house again and he's watching Dragon Ball Z. And I'm looking at this like, why does this look so familiar? Like I didn't, I, the hair of Goku is what led me to, to connect the dots here. Because when I watched the old animated show that is used to air and syndicated television annually, the little Goku guy had the same hair. And I'm like, what is this Dragon Ball? Wait, you mean Dragon Ball? Like the Dragon Ball that used to show in, you know? So yeah, I'm like, apparently this is the same kid, but now growing up. And, and now he's in these insanely awesome fights and these fights that we never see before. I've never, first of all, he's a good guy and he was getting his ass whipped in America. When we watch the super friends and we watch all those comic book movies, they never get their ass whipped. They never, you ne go back and watch the super friends on, on max, go back and watch all of the Marvel shows from the eighties on Disney plus you will see that they would get into some binds every once in a while, but they would never, they America never wanted their superheroes to be shown in vulnerable positions, getting their ass whooped because it was a sign of weakness, I guess. But in Japan, all gloves, the, the gloves are off. And we got to see, I saw Goku, the protagonist, the superhero, if you will, Get his ass handed to him. It was the Android 13 movie. It was the first, this is my first time seeing Dragon Ball Z. And I saw these androids beating the living crap out of Goku in such a way that I've never seen before. And I stuck there and I did not move at all. And I watched this movie. I'm like, I've never seen a good guy get his ass handed to him so badly. Of course, by the end, he did win but not before him defeating the odds of these powerful, powerful bees. I'm like, I am totally in <laughs> what's going on here. This is, we got to see stuff we'd never seen. And then on top of that, like, I think I'm 16, 15, 16, maybe at the time. No, no, I was a little bit younger than that. I was probably 13, 14 at that time. And I was given some anime that I probably shouldn't have gotten, you know, cause back in the eighties, any movies that we watch, we had to be monitored by, um, adults and they had to be approved of it. It's a little bit different now, but, um, like here's the thing, Fritz the cat. If anybody knows that movie, it's an animated adult oriented animated movie. It's a, a lot of drugs you know, um, you know, adult suggestive, you know, th things that we see now, which is like in the norm. Now Fritz, a cat was originally like the original Delt swim type of deal, or, you know, it was like, we see that normal now, but they, that, that movie went there. I, I, I don't, I, I think it's a German movie. I don't know, but it hit theaters. There was a lot of animals talking animals, having sex, doing drugs, all this stuff. It was crazy. That was forbidden back then. Anime at some point 
should have been forbidden, but parents didn't know about anime. Parents didn't know about, you know, that, you know, that this new age of, you know, animated series. So when they saw it and they saw parts of it, if they, if your parents would go into the room and they see you watching what they believe is cartoons, they would just go. But we were watching like Wicked City. We were watching Crying Freeman. We were watching stuff like that and got away with it because, you know, parents, unbeknownst to parents, they thought we were just watching normal cartoons, normal American cartoons. No, we was, no, son, we was watching like stuff that we, you would probably most likely see on like Showtime after hours or Cinemax and all this stuff like that level stuff at nighttime <laughs> during this time. So, oh my God, like it changed everything. It made, it turned boys into men <laughs> watching anime at the time and women into whatever the hell ended up having women to watching some of the stuff. Like if you watch crying Freeman, man, woof, it's a, if, if you never watched crying Freeman, I highly recommend you go out and check it out. It's a, it's a mob. It's a Yakuza mob story with a lot of sexual content in there. You know, a lot <laughs> like, like Freeman. Oh dude. It, it's, that is a classic anime right there, but you know, we never got a chance to see stuff like that. And that's what we end up migrating into going back to tiny tunes and all the stuff, you know, getting to see, I can't believe we got so deep in animated. We lost off of tiny tunes, but nonetheless, like this is what happened, you know? So thank goodness Steven Spielberg came in and was like, look, I grew up on Warner brothers. I grew up on Mary melodies. I grew up on, you know, some great cartoons back in the day like in the 50s and, and all the stuff warner brothers and disney the best american animated shows ever be uh, you know tv shows and cartoons ever um the quality animation back then was just phenomenal when you go back it still is it's still to this day you watch an old disney cartoon or an old disney movie like look at disney to look at disney animated shows today and look at disney animated when walt disney started animating in his garage you look at the quality of animation they did there and you look at the quality of animation today it doesn't it doesn't hold up like even if you look at mickey mouse today like i don't know what the hell they did with mickey why mickey looks the way he does it looks really bad but steven was like no we're bringing quality back in the animated uh tv shows so he started with with tiny tunes and tiny tunes looked awesome it had the same classic you know, animated style and character design that we grew up with as kids. And it brought it into the new age with these new characters like Buster, Babs, Plucky, you know, um, Hampton, Dizzy, you know, all these really awesome next generation characters that were being taught by their mentors, Bugs, Daffy, Porky, you know, um, Petunia, whatever, like all these characters. So it was, and they were set in a high school environment and it was awesome. We've gotten Animaniacs back thanks to Hulu and all the stuff they've got the rights to that. And now Steven Spielberg has also brought back Tiny Toons, but in a new setting. And if you're looking for a next chapter of Tiny Toons, you're not getting that here. What you're getting is a new rebooted series, not connected with the original series that has our favorite new age tunes in a college environment now. So 
there is some difference there is some definite obviously difference uh differences here not just in terms of the story and narrative and premise but also the voices which are gonna sound different in some cases and i immediately detect it because i know the original voices of tiny tune adventures and this was not it so you know if you recall they were like i believe there were like two different um voices of uh of what was it of buster and the original voice of buster was i believe charles atler uh, who originally did bugs um there was also uh john caser who uh also did bugs for like four episodes but john, uh, charlie atler was like the main and still around by the way i don't know why they changed it but with that said i don't necessarily mind i kind of wish that they had the original voices but they didn't they just a lot of the voices has been changed from the originals and the original voices are still there i don't know what that led into the decision to add these new characters but we have it eric uh boza who's been the you know recent voice uh he's like the new mel blank for warner brothers he does a lot of the voices including bugs buddy at times and daffy and all this stuff he um he does a lot of the voices uh current voices of warner brothers characters he and this one is buster bunny and he plays daffy duck um we also have the four um we also have uh ashley crystal Her uh hairton or hairston i should say as babs bunny taking over the role from tress mcneil who was the original Bass Bunny. Now, I will say this for her. She sounds very close to the original Babs Bunny. And um, I do like her portrayal of it. Not to say that I don't like Eric's portrayal, because I thought it just sounds different. It threw me off, but because I knew the iconic voice of Buster Bunny at this point. But um, Eric does pretty good as a newer version. I, I It took me only but an episode or two to assimilate into that voice, to uh, you know embrace that voice. But Ashley um, Crystal Hairston does a really good version of um, of Babs, and also the fact that she's a black actor playing in this role. So I'm more power to her in this in this deal. David Arago Jr. as Hampton uh, Pig. Um, I believe Don Messick was the original Hampton uh, at the time. So I don't know if he's still around or not. But um, oh. This one is significant for a reason. I like this version of Hampton. This is a completely different version of Hampton um, in terms of voice and portrayal. Hampton, this version of Hampton, and, and by the way, he also plays Plucky Duck as well. This version of Hampton J. Pig sounds, has a Southern accent, and he kind of sounds like Leslie Jordan <laughs> in, in a sense. And I kind of like this version of Plucky, you know? Because it's portraying like he's from the South or whatever like that. But he's still the same plucky that we knew from the original series as well. But now he kind of has a bit of a Leslie voice persona portrayal, if you will. So I don't know what they're doing with that one if at best, but it's interesting. Um, Tessa Netting as Sweetie Bird. Sweetie Bird was like the Tweety, the next generation Tweety Bird, but she had a little bit of an attitude problem. Still here, but a little bit more emo and anxious. <laughs> than before um betsy sadaro plays dizzy devil fred tattashore as taz gotta have fred tattashore somewhere in these things but you know the return there is some returning cast and i felt like i get this i think charles atler is very important to have in a series as well but this other person 
absolutely is important i guess because you know here's the deal when they first advertised tiny tune adventures they heavily promoted the appearance of this actor playing this role and this was one of her very first i, I could be wrong but i believe this is one of the very first animated roles that she's taken on because when and when animaniacs first came out they heavily advertised that she was going to be a part of this and it's none other than Cree summers herself who has gone on to become one of the absolute best actors in animated series ever Cree summers as many of us know for um as freddie from uh a different world you know when she first did this role nobody knew that this was going to take her into take her deep into the world of uh voice acting and animated series we thought this was like all right this is dope we got a celebrity actually in here that's taking on the role and she not only she not only took over the role of elmira she has dominated that role it's that role is extremely iconic to her uh, I don't know if they would even try to, if, if they even tried to find humor anybody else playing that role, but they didn't. They got Cree Summers back to play Elmira Duff. So she's back in this whole new environment as well. Um, and we also have Candace Milo, who has been playing Granny. Candace Milo, for, don't, for those who don't know, is the voice of Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory. Um, also a friend of a friend. <laughs> like that. So she is playing granny and she's played granny more than once in other warner brothers uh you know cartoon series and, and mary melody series if you will uh as granny so she's returning as that character as well so the biggest changes in this series the biggest without a doubt because this was a running gag in the original tiny tunes adventures and this is a definite indication that this is not the same tiny tunes this is a reboot buster and babs are related not only are they related they are considered twins in this version far different from their previous show where they were just friends at one point and even i, I i'm pretty sure i have i have to watch the original series there were episodes where Buster was trying to go out on dates with Babs. And their constant, their constant, you know, catchphrase was that I'm Buster, I'm Buster Bunny. I'm Babs Bunny. No relation. Well, in this one, they're related and they're twins. And it is funny. It is actually a big twist. Despite the changes in narratives, the characters and charm of the show remains the same, in my opinion. Um, they just, you know, brought it to modern times. I do love that they still, what made Tiny Toons so great too, and then later on Animaniacs, is that Tiny Toons would reference a lot of pop cultural things that's going on in the world before Animaniacs did it. Like watching Animaniacs, watching Tiny Toon Adventures to me, a lot of times felt like watching In Living Color, like an animated version of In Living Color, but just like a more tamed version, but they would still point out things that were going on in pop culture that way adults can enjoy the show as well as you know uh kids and that has not changed they still do that in fact they have this cafeteria or they no, they have this uh this lounge or whatever like that this coffee cafe or whatever like that that they hang around 
the cafe actually is mimicking the same cafe that you see um, with the cast of Friends hangout on. So now they have their own hangout spot like this in there. So it's a little bit more sophisticated now in this case. And, you know, there's still things that be able to point out as much. I don't think as much as Animaniacs does. The new Animaniacs, they went crazy with the references that, you know, the Trump references, the Kanye references and all this stuff. But this was a really interesting and bold move for them to do with Babs and Buster. Um, it, it shocked me, but it didn't ter deter me away. I actually, I'm like, okay, they, they're related now. This is interesting. Let's see how they roll with this. And I thought it was pretty funny what they did with it in a sense of the first episode because Babs and Buster wanted to do a co-ed, you know, um, you know, they wanted to hang, uh, do a co-ed dorm um, together or stay together in a co-ed dorm. And they end up getting separated because, you know, the Dean, who's granny, wanted to separate them to make sure that they find their own identity, to you know, that they can find their own independence. Babs was a little bit, you know, anxious. She had anxiety about this at first, especially living with Sweetie, who's like kind of a she's kind of a hoarder if you will so it took her a bit to get used to that but you know they they somehow managed to get through um so far virtually every fan favorite character from the series is in here uh i've not the only one i haven't seen so far is montana max and i'm like at some point I'm like where the hell is montana now granted i haven't watched every episode i think i watched five or six of the episodes and i think there's only like 10 or 12 of the episodes for the first season montana max has not been seen yet maybe he's there maybe he's not um but all in all and i feel like he has to because like you need that modern day super rich kid and montana max is perfect for that he was always that stupid that spoiled brat super rich entitled kid so that has not changed like if they bring them in, like, don't change them. They, we need that. Cause there's always that type of dude in college, the frat, the fraternity dude in college or something like that. That's just happened to be like rich as hell and got rich family who probably got him in easy or whatever like that. Bring that dude in. So hopefully he's in, I got to watch the rest, but I'll tell you this. I like it. I enjoyed it. You know what I watched? Um, I, it still has the same vibe, just a little bit of a different twist of things. That's it. You know what I'm saying? So like, I would say, you know, go out of your way, check it out. It's on Cartoon Network every Saturday morning, I believe. But if you're on, if you own the Max, if you subscribe to Max, it's all there. You can watch every single episode um, at, at, the, at your ready. So go out of your way, check it out right there. So, all right. I believe also coming this month is the spinoff to the boys. And that is Gen V. We got a final trailer of this right now. And the show, this show that stars a new cast of superpower kids also in a college environment learning how to control their newly experimental powers and abilities thinking uh xavier institute for gifted you know uh kids if you will however some of the students discover a dark secret about the seven and the and the school that can endanger the their lives and the lives of others or maybe even millions who knows um Many familiar faces from the flagship show will appear on in this series, along with Clancy Brown, who will play Professor Rich Binkerhoff. 
And if you know, if you follow Clancy Brown, if you're a fan of Clancy Brown, I've been a fan of him since Highlander. He will always be DeKurgan <laughs> to me. You know, um, it's better to burn out than to fade away, that dude. <laughs> and he's always, he will always be my Lex Luthor. Like we don't talk about, we talk about some of the best Lex Luthors. Clancy Brown gotta be in the top five to three in the list of Lex Luthors. Uh, Cause he played Lex Luthor in, in the Superman animated series. He was absolutely fantastic. You know, he, he was just one of the best Lex Luthors I've ever, uh, I've ever seen in a case, but you know, he's going on to play so many live action and animated, uh, deals. When Clancy Brown comes in, you know, you're getting a hell of a performance from him and, uh, he's just fantastic. So I, with that said, he also plays villains a lot too. I don't know him for playing a hero often leads me to believe this professor, Rich Baker, uh, blinker Hoff. We got to keep an eye on that dude. So we'll see. Also appearing on the show is Chance Perdomo, who played Ambrosia Spellman on the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So uh, he was awesome in there. I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to play because it seems like from the trailer, he may be playing in different directions here. He could be a good guy. He could be a bad guy in this one. So it'll be interesting to see where his situation here. He could be a shade of gray. Who knows? It is. I'm just looking forward to it. I believe it's coming later this month as well. Uh, I believe the 28th may be premiering. This is the time when all the fall season shows should be coming out, but uh, that's not going to happen. I think this is the time where we're really going to start to see the effects of the SAG after strike. There's going to be a lot of reruns coming. I don't think it's, I think it's not going to be that many shows premiering. I think when we get down to winter, we'll see, we're going to see it and we're going to see, we're going to see studios lose a lot of money. I think this is going to be bad for studios. This is going to be bad for, you know, those high end studios that are good, that profit off of the work of the writers and the actors, and they're going to see it. They're going to have to buck, buckle down. I don't see them. They acting like they're, they're, you know, it's, it's the loss of the staff and, and talent and everything like they're not going to lose anything. Yeah. They're going to lose money after a while. And they're going to hate that idea that they're losing millions and millions of dollars. So it's going to be interesting to see who's going to buckle down. We'll see. All right. Final thing I want to talk about is my thoughts on Asuka. Asuka. I'm saying Asuka. I like the Japanese uh, name. No, Asuka. Uh, Asuka. Um, which episode four came also known as Fallen Jedi. Arguably one of the best episodes to date and what may be leading into a very epic episode five. So let's talk about this real quick. Cause I mean, this is such a big episode. We had to talk about it. So Asuka and Sabine are hiding from Bale and Skull and his troops in, uh, in this dark forest. That's where we last seen them as they were trying to search for the map and their search for Thrawn and Ezra. At least Sabine was looking, wanted to look for Ezra. Uh, so we also go get the pleasure of what could be the very first droid fight scene. I can't recall. I've watched a bunch of the, uh, the star Wars movies and TV series. I've never seen a brawl out between two droids until now. And this to me is the very first droid fight as Hu Yang, Hu Yang, um, 
and one of the dark droids begin to throw hands in a UFC style banger of a fight. Like I've rewatched that episode. I'm like, yo, they're really getting down. Whoever put this together, genius. We've never seen droids fight like this. Like, my God, if we do get AI, let's put them in a ring. <laughs> let's put them in a ring and let them No. Because if they really know how to fight, they could come and take we up your ass right there. No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> keep away. Keep the AI out of the way. Oh God. But this leads Asuka and Sabim to come out uh to join the fight, leading to a battle of their own against uh Shin Haiti and the and a ranked trooper. They didn't ever say what this trooper's name was, but it doesn't matter because he didn't last long. The two leave Hyung as they search for Balin and uh, Morgan uh, Elsbeth. And uh, we also see the appearance of Captain Kara's, uh, um, uh, Captain Kara and Tara, who we last saw in the uh, Mandalorian. Well, Captain Kara, Captain Carson, I should say. I don't know why I say Kara, I'm, I'm, this is a misprint. Captain Carson, who we last seen in the Mandalorian with uh, Zeb from Rubbles which we're going to see Zeb's really soon. I'm pretty sure we are. Um, he teams up with Hera to in search of Asuka and Sabine because uh, Hera just feels like something's going on. She has to help them out. She can't stay around. So she calls Carson to, you know, join up with them and let's go find them, and make sure they're safe. Meanwhile, Sabine faces off against Shin Haiti. Asuka takes on the elite trooper while Sabine struggles to defeat Shin at some point, uh, Asuka manages to find uh, Balin and Morgan after she really decimates that trooper. Uh, and they're using the map to find um, Thorn or Fawn. I forgot how to pronounce his name. Asuka manages to, um, you know, Asuka, I'm sorry, Balin and Asuka face off in a epic battle as Asuka uh asuka i guess attempts to retrieve the map asuka appears to win the fight but will soon become distracted when she sees shins appear thinking that sabim was killed asuka tells sabim to destroy the map and when she finally discovers that she's alive she uh tells her to destroy the map of course sabim hot-headed as always doesn't listen does not and i think part of it is because of course destroying the map means that she doesn't find Ezra. So she hesitated to do that. This led to Balin getting the upper hand and throwing Asuka off a cliff. Sabim tries to defeat Balin, but stalls when he threat, uh, when, uh, with the threat to destroy the map, Balin tries to manipulate her by bringing up Ezra. He offers to help her find Ezra. If she gives him the map, Sabim gives him the map which allows Morgan to get the coordinates to Thorn. Shin Haiti comes and tries to kill Sabine, but Balin commands her to stop because he gave her um, gave his word. Balin, as promised, giving Sabine the whereabouts of Ezra. Meanwhile, Hera found uh, Huyang and the ship to find uh, Asuka and Sabine. Morgan finally got the coordinates uh, and Balin destroys the map while taking Sabine hostage. Hera and Captain Carson tried to reach uh, Morgan uh, Morgan and her ship, only to fail as the ship goes to hyperdrive. The hyperdrive from this ship was so massive and powerful, it knocked a few of the X-Wing ships to, into colliding with each other and destroying each other. Leong 
is in search of Beam and Asuka, but to no success. We find Asuka waking up from her fall in what looks like to be some sort of an astral plane like deal something that we've seen luke skywalker get himself into before where she is met with a familiar face that face is none other than anakin skywalker reprised by the one and only hayden christensen we get a reunion and what makes this so awesome of course if you're not a star wars fan and you don't understand the significance of this this is the first ever live action um, you know connection between Asuka and Anakin because the only time that we've seen them was in the animated Clone War series which is in fact connected to this series the events of the Clone Wars the events of Rebels are all connected to this show and the Mandalorian and Obi-Wan and everything that involves anything that happens in the Star Wars universe it is all connected it is not one it is not a separate thing this is all one all in one universe and graphic novel video games everything it's all connected to one universe so this is the very first time we get to see asuka and and anakin skywalker in live action form together this is a huge moment and that's how the episode ends. this is leading to what is possibly to be a very epic episode next week so epic that asuka episode five is set to have limited release tickets sold in select theaters they are preparing this to be a very big episode and i don't know what's happening next week but um it's going to be big i you know last time they did something like this it was um last time disney tried to pull something like this it was the inhumans and if you guys remember Inhumans was in theaters the first episode which was like a actual whole entire movie and then uh it was like the first episode or two that premiered and it didn't live up to expectations because of the special effects and they were it was like we were expecting a marvel studios level type of deal but it was more like ages of shields level which at the time was like okay it was great for that but not great for like silver screen so there was a lot of disappointment from fans and rightfully so like i have not watched the humans to this day and i keep saying i'm gonna watch it again but there was a lot of things wrong with that show and like mostly special effects because you know if you read the inhuman series and you watch what they did and they they uh they budgeted the hell out of that which is the reason why we now when we see new marvel studios projects on disney plus they're like giving movie level budgets because they don't want to they learned from that mistake before i expect this to live up they they don't make the same mistake twice i expect especially because this is star wars and they've been doing so well with everything that they've done with the star wars series from now uh dave filoni and and john favreau they have not dropped the ball yet i don't expect them to drop the ball with this one i expect this one to be a very big deal i've i've read that uh tickets are already being sold there's a huge waiting list of people that are waiting to get these tickets to see this uh next week and um man this I, look <laughs> i don't know what the hell to expect i'm hoping this is going to be a long 
longer episode they're normally like 40 minutes 45 minutes i'm hoping that this lasts a little bit longer than normal because if it's going to be this big we need to see something majorly epic and i'm excited because i've been enjoying this series since it arrived um and I'm, again i'm somebody who's never watched rebels before and only watched a few seasons of um clone wars i've been enjoying this and now with this anakin and asuka reunite uh reunited situation oh man i, I i'm excited to see what's gonna happen next week this is awesome this is freaking awesome so all right folks that is what's new in the world of acmg we're gonna take a break come back and i will talk about my top 10 favorite mortal kombat characters who made the cut we'll find out right after this ladies and gentlemen this is dax xavier josiah the host of acmg presents talk time live the podcast you want to catch up with all of our podcast shows and hear from some of the hottest names in all of anime comics movies and games such as this is miley Flanagan, the voice of naruto this is stephanie shea the voice of sailor moon this is ruben langdon voice of ken masters and dante from devil may cry hey there this is kyle abear the voice of ryu from street fighter 5 this is chris battle character designer of teen titans go here's your chance to check out all of that and more on talk time Live.com. TalkTomLive.com provides all of our ACMG content with new and previous episodes, exclusive interviews, articles, and much more. Visit TalkTomLive.com and let us help you learn to let go, live life, and love all things ACMG. Talk Time Live! Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Mike Moe from Street Fighter Assassin's Fists. You are listening to ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. Os, do it. And now, it's time for our Talk Topic of the Week. Ready? Wait! Folks, we are back with our Talk Topic of the Week, and it is my top 10 favorite Mortal Kombat characters. This week, I decided to celebrate Mortal Kombat by talking about some of the characters that I've really enjoyed through the entire timeline. I've been playing Mortal Kombat since the beginning, and to see it evolve into this has been nothing short of phenomenal. Uh, Ed Boon and John Tobias started this. And for some reason, I still don't understand. I did still never found out why John Tobias left uh, them and left the project and left Mortal Kombat and left it to Ed Boon. But Ed Boon has taken this even farther. And so much so that he ended up getting a deal with WB and WB games came out and that allowed him to evolve the franchise to even bigger, more exponential level of quality that we've never seen. It was able to compete and maintain their competition with Street Fighter and Capcom throughout all these years. And in some ways, they may have superseded Capcom with Street Fighter. I will say this. The hype that's going around for Mortal Kombat 1, it is looking to absolutely overthrow and take the throne of Street Fighter for best fighting game for the first time ever, maybe? Because, <laughs> I mean, you'll talk to people. There's going to be Mortal Kombat people and there's going to be Street Fighter people. But Street Fighter, regardless of what you think, Street Fighter will always be the pinnacle because it was one of the actual first of its kind of fighting fighting game of versus fighting game for that matter that we've seen it's the template of 
Mortal Kombat and Fatal Fury and Art of Fighting and King of Fighters and all, which by the way, the people who created the original Street Fighter were the same people who created um, Fatal Fury and Art of Fighting and all that stuff too. But when Street Fighter 2 came out, absolutely changed everything. Absolutely. And really made it to what we see now. And Mortal Kombat came around and, you know, Ed Boon and John Tobias looked at that and was like, we can do that, but make it a little bit more grittier, a little more grinder, give it a more serious tone, give it a more violent tone. That game, this game, like, made a big impact in our country because the government stepped in. John Lieberman, you know, that dude. If you guys look back at the, like, John Lieberman can, I don't care. Like, I, you know, I don't want to go into politics and everything, but I'll tell you what, Mr. McConnell and John Lieberman, those are the type of guys cannot mess with. Like John Lieberman was trying to stop at, you know, midway games and, and, and Mortal Kombat from even coming out because of its violent nature. And it didn't win. We still got Mortal Kombat. We got it more than ever. And this franchise has evolved into so many things. Uh, video games. We talked about it. animated series, um, live action series, movies, whatnot. It, it is still around to this day, still celebrated, but it's even better than ever because it has an even stronger narrative. As you know, Ed Boone has never stopped that train. If you go back and look at the actual story of Mortal Kombat, it is a very compelling story and it has very compelling characters with their backstories as well that i th you know you kind of think as you go along that there's a different story every single time no he continued this is an ongoing story since one and he managed to keep it going and keep that narrative you know connected and in control throughout the time all all the way up to armageddon and then when mortal kombat 9 came out he rewrote it brilliantly. I'm at it. He did the days of future past type of formula to rewrite the entire story, which then changed a few different narratives in the story. And then going back to, you know, 11, they rewritten it again, which leads us to mortal Kombat one where we're, you know, witnessing a new and whole new timeline rewritten by fire. God, Luke Kang, and just that alone fire. God, Luke Kang. Okay. So we're going to talk about our top 10 people and, and not in any order, not, not in any rank of any kind. Um, just 10 of my favorites, you know, I'm going to narrow it down from 10 to one, but number saying number one, doesn't exactly mean my all time top favorite. It just, these are just all in the same loop. So we're going to start number 10 with Liu Kang. I mean, I always like the protagonist. I always, I will always, I'm a big Ryu fan. Shout out to Kyle Aber for that. I'm always a big, you know, protagonist fan. I always like to be that, that the main dude in the story, um, because they're usually the strongest. They're usually the more wiser. They're usually the one that can get out of a situation. They are always the one who are diligent, who are resilient. I always like that type of character and everybody else behind that. <laughs> okay. So Liu Kang was, is going to be my top, I'm going to be my number 10. We got to talk about him. Just talk about resilient. And I love what they did with him because you got Ryu and he was always compared to with Ryu from Street Fighter. So 
I guess Ed Boon wanted to go a little bit different with him and that they did because along the lines, Luke Kang has died twice. We might as well call him Optimus Prime to some extent. In this case, he has died twice. First time he was killed by both Quan Chi and Shang Tsung, also known as the Deadly Alliance. And when that game came out and the premise of this is that they killed Luke Kang and I'm like, what the hell? What are they going to do now? They killed their main dude. Nobody's ever killed their main dude. And they like, we never seen Terry Bogart die. We never seen like Kazuya die or, or Jin Kazama die. We never saw, you know, Ryu Sakazaki from Art of Fighting die. We, this was a first, this was a risk move, a bold risk move that, you know, NetherRealm Studios did. Were they NetherRealm at the time? That's a good question. Um, but this is, they, they really went there and killed off Liu Kang and it that was the biggest selling point right there this is around the time I think Superman died too so you know there's a lot of that going on so I don't know but killing off Liu Kang it was like okay if they kill off Liu Kang who the hell they're not going to depend on Johnny Cage to like to be the chosen one which in a lot of ways they kind of did later on but um it was wild to see like what they're what were they gonna what are they gonna do with this turns out they end up coming up with an answer for that because he came back as a zombie leading up to Armageddon. Like zombie Luke Kang was just unreal. It was like, this is a wild, wild concept. But guess what? People love the idea of zombie Luke Kang because now he's just like Spectre. <laughs> that is just coming back to continue where he left off and try to get, you know, kill those guys for killing him. It was crazy. And, and, in Raiden's rewritten world in Mortal Kombat 9, he died again, this time by the hands of Raiden becoming one of Quan Chi's remnant and didn't end up becoming one of Quan Chi's remnants. Basically, Raiden, you know, Liu Kang started questioning Raiden and, you know, his decisions of trying to, you know, right the wrongs of what happened in Armageddon. If you watch Mortal Kombat, if you played Mortal Kombat 9, you will see the whole premises that is Raiden going back in time to the first Mortal Kombat to make sure that he changes some of the events of what happened in order to not make sure that Armageddon doesn't happen again. But in doing so, you change one thing, something else happens and something happens wrong. Liu Kang began to question the deity known as Raiden. And this led to them getting into a fight, which then led to Raiden actually killing Liu Kang, which also gives Quan Chi the ability to turn him and a lot of the other characters that end up dying in, in that rewritten world into Quan Chi's remnants. So Raiden is torn because now he's like, he's really screwed up. So it's led into Mortal Kombat 10, which we now have Liu Kang as a villain as one of Quan Chi's remnants and leads to 11, which kind of now we see they, the, the timeline has just changed because of Chronica, and we see a younger Liu Kang come back facing off against a remnant Liu Kang. This all leads to Liu Kang. By the end, Liu Kang merges with the remnant version and also takes over Raiden as a god. Hence now, he comes back as Fire God Liu Kang with the ability to take out Kronika, with the ability to take out Shang Tsung, with the ability to rewrite the world as he sees fit. 
you couldn't have written a better story from the guy. I mean, what a road Liu Kang has gone through. Like, you can argue that Liu Kang is one of the, in terms of fighting game characters, Liu Kang possibly has to be at best number two, arguably number one. That what he's been able to do, what they did with his character, and he's he's technically Ultra Instinct Goku at this point. You can't beat this dude. At least we don't know yet. We got, I don't know what's going to happen with Mortal Kombat 1. But as far as I know, this dude at this point in time is unbeatable. And now Raiden's like the new Liu Kang, technically speaking, in this whole thing. So that's it's just a craziness with how his character came around. So number 10, absolutely. You cannot have my top favorite, a top 10 favorite without having Liu Kang in the mix. Okay. And speaking of Raiden, he's number nine. First appeared in Mortal Kombat 1 also along with Liu Kang. And once a Thunder God leading Earthrealm to defeat Shang Tsung in the first Mortal Kombat and uh, Shokan in the second Mortal Kombat tournament and their forces from taking over all of the realms in Mortal Kombat. Over time, Raiden began to become vengeful thanks to him inhabiting dark power, uh, dark power from Shinnok and other forces back, you know, leading up to Armageddon. Um, which another, again, another big twist in the Mortal Kombat saga is him becoming sort of a anti-hero or bad guy, guy and all this stuff. He's still Raiden in his head. He's still the, the Raiden that wants to stop Outworld, but now he's doing it like as if Frank Castle has become a Thunder God <laughs> in this case. Okay. So upon Armageddon, Raiden would rewrite time undo what he is or try to undo what he did in the past um raiden succeeded without sacrificing himself once again um without having to sacrifice himself once again becoming engulfed in that dark power that he was in during the first timeline that uh, they were in raiden's new dark demeanor has led him to caring less about human life and more than defeating shinnok and outworld like if you watch uh, Mortal Kombat 10 and Mortal Kombat 11, like you'll see the change in him and especially the end of Mortal Kombat 10 and then leading into 11 when uh, Sonya Blade died, he really didn't care much less. Like he just treated it like, okay, another piece of the chess, another chess piece has been taken out, but it's for the greater good. So let's keep it moving. And, you know, his, her daughter was like, are you freaking kidding me right now? <laughs> or Jackie pretty much was looking Jackie Briggs was looking at him like are you serious right now did you did you really just say that <laughs> and uh yeah so he's kind of changed but he changed eventually he would change back because Chronica changing the time you know manipulating the timelines again bringing back the old you know the the you know bringing the characters from the original Mortal Kombat into a modern time kind of changes up and that also changed Raiden back into the good natured Raiden as well. So he had a full entire reboot of himself in this case. And also later on, it just, you know, once Raiden finally realized, you know, the errors of his ways and the situation that was happening, he helped Liu Kang to become fire God, relinquishing his ability to become that God in this part. So, you know, his integral part here was really crazy too. I mean, just getting to see his transformations over time, which is really awesome. So 
um he definitely you can't again another character you can't really add on a top 10 without adding uh, raiden in here as well and this other one you could call him the wolverine you could call him the badass of the bunch you could call you could definitely call him the fan favorite but here we call him number eight and that is scorpion also first appeared in mortal kombat one hanzo hasashi was tricked into thinking that uh the lin Kuei killed his clan which they actually did but they were they were also tricked into do it too and his family another but by quan chi himself this led Hanjo, uh hanzo sacrificing his body for revenge against um the sub-zero becoming scorpion one of the most popular characters in mortal kombat history second only to Liu kang raiden i would say probably maybe maybe the fourth because sub-zero plays into that factor too but i i would i would argue anybody disagreeing with me saying that uh, scorpion isn't like number two in their eyes or number one um but he is like he's wolverine and ghost rider having a kid you got Hanzo Sashi right there. And of course, you know, the, the familiar battle cry catchphrase, get over here, which I believe John Tobias may have been. Ed Boon, I believe, is the one that was the first one to voice that, do the voice of that. And, you know, it's been a time, time honored catchphrase in the uh, in the world of gaming there. So, um, you know, Scorpion's story is, you know, your prototypical, you know, uh, story of vengeance and you know how he got there was just also crazy and i like the the development of him of his story as you know time going by especially the addition of you know adding quan chi as the person the antagonist that's responsible for it i thought that was pretty good too um and the fact that he's not really a bad guy he's more like he's he's a vengeful guy he's a vengeful good guy if you will he is you know in all cases a ninja ghostwriter you know said so this case so you can't do it without and then also seeing later on him you know teaming up with uh sub-zero and those two becoming a bit of you know a team up type of thing especially now with mortal kombat one coming this new rewritten deal has those two as brothers in this case so i'm interested in seeing how that storyline is going on with with that case so i i can't wait i cannot wait till thursday <laughs> i i may be staying up for i, I don't know i may do a, a 12 o'clock stay up for that one for just to, just to get a little bit in with that but man i gotta love it here's when i think nobody's gonna believe that i'm gonna pick number seven is cyrax first appeared in mortal kombat 3 now from a game playing standpoint cyrax was a heavy favorite especially for mortal kombat 3 and an ultimate mortal kombat 3 which is a heavy favorite game that people first of all can if anybody from netherrealm please if you're listening can you guys please come out with a mortal kombat anthology like like seriously like not just i want one through nine not just like i want ultimate mortal kombat 3 which was a awesome favorite that was one of my favorite mortal kombats to play um up until nine and no, no that's not true i love deceptions i love deceptions as well especially the combat chess and all that stuff um uh, daily alliance was dope ah, i really do like more than that just but ultimate mortal combat from an arcade standpoint 
Ultimate Mortal Kombat was the best. You had the run technique, you got to run and do combos and all that stuff. And from a esport gaming competition, that game was awesome. But we first saw Cyrax in Mortal Kombat 3 as, you know, one of the members of the Lin Kuei who volunteered to become one of the latest cybernetic experiments to become a new breed of ninja. And Raiden's rewritten timeline, we got to see what Cyrex looks like before he became one of the fan favorite cyber ninjas. Unbeknownst to anybody that the Lin Kuei was inclusive because they embraced anybody who wanted to be Lin Kuei and Cyrex just happened to be a, a, a brother who joined the Lin Kuei and became a ninja. I was like, when I, when I saw that in, in, in Mortal Kombat 9, I often, and you kind of, if you, if you played Mortal Kombat 9, you saw the story of what happened with Cyrex. He ended up not wanting to be one of those cyber ninjas and he declined to be, but they end up catching him and forcing him to be one. I was like, damn, I wish, I really, really wish we could have saw Cyrex as just is, just had a, a black ninja in there. Now he just becomes that cyber ninja. And then he also sacrificed himself too. So it's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> so I really like the idea that Cyrex was a ninja of color, if you will. And, you know, he joined the fray, but I was like, all right, this is dope. This is pretty dope. Um, did not expect this. And I kind of like this. I like, I like playing as the human version of Cyrex better than I did the cyber version of him. I, I just did. I really did, but he didn't last long. I wish, God, I wish they would bring him back in a rewritten and, and they may still, who knows? Again, another realm. If you're listening, bring back that version of uh, the black version of Cyrex. I want a black ninja in Mortal Kombat again. So, um, but we saw what happened in, in, in Mortal Kombat nine and, uh, it was that, but I, I personally really enjoyed the idea of the redirection of Cyrex and his re and Raiden's rewritten, you know, timeline or, or going back in time, timeline, if you will, because we didn't know about, we didn't know what he looked like as a human prior to this and now we did because he wasn't in the original storytelling but they factored him into the new storytelling in mortal kombat 9 when they kind of just he went back in time to try to rewrite all the wrongs so he was in there him is him and um sector were actually in mortal quote supposedly in mortal kombat 1. all right we got to go to six number six of my top 10 favorite mortal kombat characters is Devora. Dude, when this character first appeared in Mortal Kombat 10, easily became a lot of people's favorite character. Devora is one of the latest characters to appear in Raiden's rewritten world as she is the right hand to Shokan. And I mean, like, she is no joke. I also consider her the star scream of the Mortal Kombat universe as well, for a reason. She takes the form of a bee or a wasp or whatever to that extent. And she can resonate bees at her command as well as poisons to defeat her, um, to defeat and destroy her opponent. She's partly an assassin as well. Um, in the most hard way, like, oh, how she, her fatalities are ridiculous. I wonder if she, I, you know, it's the one character that has not been announced to be in this one. And I do believe it's because they did, she did get killed in Mortal Kombat 11. So I don't believe she's coming back. But again, this is Liu Kang's rewritten world. So I don't know if she's coming back or not. 
um but she was definitely one of my favorites in there as she is loyal to shell khan though she is also known to go into business for herself in mortal kombat 11 she works with koto khan after defeating uh after the defeat of shell khan but she has also been known to be secretly uh, to secretly work with shinnok in mortal kombat 10 as well so she she's a survivalist she will click set herself to the person that will most likely protect her and her hive as well so um and i also like the way that she talks her her uh dialogue is very interesting she speaks not in first person but when she i i don't know how to i don't know how to describe how she speaks it's like the opposite of third uh, first person because when you speak your speaking you speak to yourself in first person like when Dwayne Johnson used to be the rock and we always say the rock or in Seinfeld case Jimmy <laughs> you know you're, they're speaking of themselves but she when she talks about you she just goes off and says this one here <laughs> I'm like okay that's a different way of talking as people get it because I remember the scene where she um she announced that she killed Melina she uh to, to shao khan and shao khan was not happy about that and she's like this one had to take care of belina her way you know like i guess that's her way of talking about herself but she also ref um referenced that i believe to talk about somebody else so it's a very interesting way of speaking and then she has that like after you know the echoing type of voice too that makes her sounds really slithering and and sinister at the same time like she's an awesome character um I don't know if they're going to bring her back, but I, to me, she is, she is to me with other people, what Melina is to other people, you know, she is my Melina in this case. I thought she, I thought she was awesome in there. Number five, this is going to be another surprise too, because this one kind of holds near and dear to me. This was a, this was a very near and dear character to me in one of, one of my favorite Mortal Kombat's and that is shajinko who is reappearing surprisingly reappearing in mortal kombat 1 i was incredibly shocked to see that this character is coming back and when i saw this character is who's going to be making making a return in mortal kombat 1 this also leads me to believe that another character may be coming back as well and i don't know if it's true but i hope it is and that that character is in this list as well so a character that appeared in the story campaign of mk conquest which is a part of mortal kombat deceptions sajinko was tricked by a disembodied voice pretending to be a god looking to have him retrieve the kamidogu relics which was needed to free what we later what we would later discover to be the dragon king i loved this story i replayed the story and again can netherrealm please bring these games back to the nintendo switch or just in general to all the consoles but nintendo switch would be great for this because i used to love playing the normal combat deceptions would end up coming onto the playstation portable the psp and they ported this perfectly onto the psp where you were also able to be able to play the conquest mode which you play a young shijinko who would be manipulated again into finding all these relics and it would take him all of his life to do this and by while on the while all the while also becoming one of the most powerful martial arts 
fighters ever. He would learn martial arts from different people, from familiar faces uh, in different realms. And by the time he got he got the final relic, he was old. He was a sage. He was wiser, but also naive. Because when he got the final relic, he finally discovered that it wasn't a god at all. It was the Dragon King. And he ended up having to fight the Dragon King. I don't think he survived that at all, but or he did. And he ended up joining Liu Kang, or who uh, he ended up joining uh Shang Tsung and Quan Chi and all of them. And to fight the dragon king which is became the most powerful being in all of the realms so you know what i'm saying like i love this character i love the story that they've written for this character um you know because you got to play this huge campaign story mode which in, in all hindsight it was just a means to this awesome story mode was also me basically a a, a tutorial mode um, because it allowed you to show you how to fight as other characters in the game and how to successfully use, um, their actual, uh, techniques and their movesets and all this stuff. It was brilliantly done. This is one of the best tutorial modes in campaign story campaigns in probably all of fighting games, if you will. I could argue that definitely. It was just, it was fantastic. Um, but it led to something even deeper in the world of Mortal Kombat, in the universe of Mortal Kombat, that is. So I, I really enjoyed it. And this was all taking place before Mortal Kombat 9. Um, Deception and then uh Armageddon came after shortly after that. It was Deadly Alliance, Deception, and then uh Deadly um and then um Armageddon came after that. Armageddon was just crazy. It was just it was insane. Uh that was when that was the game where you can create your own character to fight in the story mode and everything. It was just it, the stuff that went on with that is just insane. All right. Number four, Kenshi, who first appeared in Deadly Alliance. Kenshi, also a really dope fan favorite character as well. Kenshi Takahashi is a blind swordsman with the ability to use telekinesis and psychokinesis thanks to a mystic sword that bonds with him. Kenshi was one of the latest characters in Deadly Alliance, which, um, and it became a fan favorite to, uh, among gamers as well because of what he could do with the sword and what he could do is he pretty much he's mortal Kombat's he's pretty much mortal Kombat's daredevil in a sense but he but it's like daredevil if he had psychokinesis and telekinesis as well kenshi's story connects with the deception of shang soon who is responsible for the loss of his sight as well as ermac um there he has ties with ermac as well in there so i mean he later on would team up with uh with the uh with who is it um sonya blade and, and johnny cage and mortal kombat 10 uh as well so you would get to see him return as well you know teaming up with the special forces now the thing i will say about mortal kombat because it was something i didn't like way back but they managed to factor that in i talked about the mortal kombat animated series on USA that came, the USA network that came out back in the day and I didn't like it because it was a budgeted piece of trash. But what they did with that series was kind of make Mortal Kombat, they turned Mortal Kombat into like GI Joe because it was like, it was GI Joe versus Cobra in a sense. It was the earth realm folks versus the out, um, outworld people. And it felt very GI Joe-ish after a while. 
and it was no hint of the tournament in that series. So what they did with the video game, with the core, with the actual canon story of the video game, or the core story, if you will, is that, yeah, there was a tournament. There was definitely a tournament involved in this, but it eventually led into something bigger later on, where you, you know, Earth forces and Earth realm forces did eventually have to go on an all-out war with them, and the whole tournament aspect was out the door. But now they're going back into the tournament aspect, which I do love uh, because it was all about the tournament in the first place and everything factored based on what happened and the tournament and the tournament was the fate of it all. Yes, it did go out of hand and Outworld did come in and, you know, tried to overrule all. Oh my God, they did an insurrection pretty much. I mean, that's pretty much what he did. Um, they did an insurrection because they didn't like the, the fact that they lost the tournament. My God, how art imitates life. Jeez. But, <laughs> and then at the end, it ended up becoming Armageddon. Please, when I say art imitates life, please don't let all of art imitate life in this case. Jesus Christ. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's what basically happened for that. So now we're seeing, we see a blend of the storylines of the animated series in factored into that. But then we're going back with one. And then we also went back with nine with the results of the tournament as well. So I thought they did a pretty good job going, trying to keep the tournament as the core premise of the deal. So I, I didn't mind that at all. Um, so they, what they did was they balanced it out pretty well, in my opinion. All right, we're down to three, last three here. So number three is Jackson Briggs. Jax, who first appeared in Mortal Kombat 2, partner to Sonya Blade as one of the Outer World Special Forces. His dedication to Earthrealm has led him to sacrificing his life, you know, in his insanity to saving Earthrealm, including the loss of his arms, his wife, and his own life at some point at the hands of Quan Chi. Losing so much has taken a mental toll on Jax which led to him working alongside Kronika in uh, Mortal Kombat 11. I love the story direction here with Jax because it was very, it was humanistic. Um, they humanized this character in a sense. It's like, okay, you can't go through what they're going through without having some type of mental anguish. And being that Jax is from the military and all this stuff that's going on, it brought a little bit of realism to the idea that like these people aren't just like affect they're not they're, they have to be somewhat mentally affected by what's going on here and Jax was that character that they chose to go through this there was a scene in Mortal Kombat um 11 that I one of my favorite scenes in Mortal Kombat 11 is when they go to Jax because they find out Jackie talks about you know what her father is going through because in Mortal Kombat 10 I'm sorry, Mortal Kombat 9, Jax was one of the people along with um, Sindel, um, Liu Kang, uh, who else was it? Uh, Katana. They all die at the hands of Shao Kahn and therefore Quan Chi was able to take them and use them as their remnants. You know, basically zombies under their control. Somehow, some way, during a fight in Mortal Kombat 10, when... Um, Johnny Cage fought Shinnok and beat Shinnok, surprisingly. It turned a lot of the remnants 
that were in, in that air in that uh situation back into human jackson jackson briggs was one of them but in doing so it did a lot to him it took a toll on him during this process his 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 wife passed away uh jackie's mom also passed uh has passed away in this and without his wife and him turning uh, dying and coming back to life it took a toll on him so in the scene in mortal kombat 11 we see him going through some sort of a ptsd situation and it was one i still say is one of the best scenes that they produced and put together and written in the mortal kombat 11 game because you got to see a vulnerable character who went through so much it's like we like these guys are super heroic they're above and beyond powerful but at the end we seen a human side of a situation a human situation of a vulnerable character that he's put he's there with his his cybernetic arms his cybernetic prosthetic arms and he's given so much to this country he's given so much to the planet and he could give no more and he could fight no more and jackie is fighting for him and then Kronika takes him and says that, you know, your help can help make a better world. We can rewrite the world into a better place. Jackie wouldn't have to be in, in a war. We, you know, all this stuff. So she manipulates him and talks him into doing it. And it, even then he still struggled with it. And when Jackie and the uh, old Jackson Briggs comes back and finds out of what happened and seeing that the older version of Jackson is, you know, turned over to Kronika, you could see the struggle in himself. You could see his arms shaking. I love that. I really love that scene. It, it, it really, to me, it, it, it's so important to see that scene in Mortal Kombat because it gives a, a different type of depth into the Mortal Kombat universe. And uh, like these guys are actual humans and they have human situations and no they're just not super heroic people with special abilities and whatnot and nothing phases them no of course you should be phased by demons coming at you and killing people and murdering people coming up and is brave and heroic and diligent and powerful as Jax is even heroes need a hero and that's what i loved about this that's what i absolutely loved about the Jax character um through and through i love what happened with him i love the th the way that it turned out for him and i love seeing jacks team up with younger jacks as well in this too so jacks gets on number three as a favorite character right there uh too um and of course we talked about his daughter you know jackie as well you know enlisted too so jackie's a dope character but she would probably be an honorable mention character at best in here too so all right number two we can't talk about favorite characters without talking about Scorpion and we can't talk about Scorpion without talking about freaking Sub-Zero. Number two on my list of people. No ranking people. Remember, no ranking. So Sub-Zero, we got two versions. Bihan first appeared in Mortal Kombat 1. Kue Lang appeared in Mortal Kombat 2. Bihan was manipulated by Quan Chi to lead an attack by the Lin Kuei to take out the ninja clan of Hanzo Hasashi to in order to turn him into Scorpion to get revenge on, on Bihan, which then is a twist here. Scorpion ha 
had got has gotten his revenge killing behind in the first mortal kombat tournament later we would discover of course okay remember in the original game the mortal kombat tournament in the original movie those two kind of teamed up and johnny cage faced off against uh scorpion and Liu kang faced off against you know sub-zero so we never got that in the original mortal kombat movie however the recent reboot we did we got that so that's an interest just want to point that out real quick so in the core canon story scorpion got his revenge from behind from the first mortal kombat tournament later we would discover that a new sub-zero would emerge which led to scorpion once again seeking to take him out thinking as Bihan came back to life while well, unbeknownst to him to the specter ninja that it's a new sub-zero by his younger brother paying homage to Bihan. meanwhile the twist here <laughs> excuse me such a twist it made me choke a bit the the meanwhile that we learn the twist here is that we learn that Bihan has also taken a new form thanks to Quan Chi in the form of Noob Sabot. Of course, for those who are hardcore Mortal Kombat fans, Noob Sabot was a hidden character in one of the Mortal, the earlier Mortal Kombat games. I think it was three, two or three. He didn't, he didn't originally have a storyline. There was no real backstory. He was just a, he was a gag character that John Tobias and Ed Boon came up with. And in fact, for those who know, of course, hardcore gamers, hardcore Mortal Kombat fans know this. Noob Sabot is just Tobias Boon backwards. Um, but new 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 guys, new MK um characters may I mean fans may not know that, but if you put Noob Sabot backwards, it's Tobias Boon, which was meant for John Tobias and Ed Boon. So they later factored in this character and ended up making a backstory saying that behind that um noob sabot is actually behind turn a turned into um was the new which is like a newly formed character created by quan chi the same way that he did with scorpion so they managed to factor him in and made this into a storyline based on making quan chi the reason why scorpion became you know hanzo became a scorpion and all this stuff so I love how they weave that in later on into the storyline of this whole thing. So um, just the fact that they did this with the Sub-Zero backstory is just awesome. And this was the development of having great writers in WB behind their back because it just made things so much better in this case. Now we're down to the number one character in. I talked about him earlier. So if you really listen to what I was saying, I said I was going to mention this character down the line. My number one of my top 10 favorite Mortal Kombat characters is one of the most powerful characters ever. And it's not Shokan. It is Unaga. First appeared in Mortal Kombat Deception, the most dangerous, powerful character in the Mortal Kombat in Mortal Kombat history. A character so feared that if released, it would create Armageddon. And that's exactly what it did. Because <laughs> if you played Mortal Kombat Armageddon, it is a mountain full of Mortal Kombat characters all there. 
and every one of them have tried to take out the Dragon King and they just couldn't. This dude was no joke. So it took you to create your own character to take out Onaga. And playing as Onaga is just as deep, man. Like he was no joke. Onaga was incredible. The character that even the gods feared if released from prison. And thanks to him manipulating Sojinko through over the all the decades and generations, he was able to do it. Onaga was the disembodied voice that led Shujinko to wasting his entire life finding these mystical relics known as the Kamidogu. And man, I love that story. And this was like the beginning of really great storytelling from, from Netherrealm in this point. Because Shojinko is coming back in Mortal Kombat 1, I am eagerly waiting and wondering if he's set to come back because Kronika, at some point, Kronika can also be probably the second uh, second best character ever, you know, put together in a Mortal Kombat series. But my goodness, um, I, Onaga was no joke. I think I would give, um, I would give Kronika in terms of powerful characters, second bill because she's only there because Onaga was defeated or rewritten out of the equation. And in fact, because they rewrote the, the they rewrote time, Onaga was never released in this sense. So he's still trapped in, which means in hindsight, they could bring him back at any time. So that is my number one. And I would, I'm only hoping because Shojinko is back in that he's coming, that we're going to see him again. Because there's a lot of great characters in Mortal Kombat, more than I actually mentioned, but they were my top 10. I could give honorable mentions. Uh, Shang Tsung, definitely because of his manipulative, you know, nature. Shokan, because he was just, he was just a big jock to me. He was just like a annoying football jock to me. But Shokan is Shokan. Um, you know, I, he was great too. Fujin also was a great character. People are probably mad because I didn't mention Melina because honestly, Melina's dope, but I was never like that. I never saw the the big deal about Melina to that sense. Like I'm a Katana fan too. I'm also a Citrian fan. I really had a hard time, you know, making Garrus into my top 10 because he was also dope too. Kronika's, um, you know, one of the gods who controls time, but now he's also working with Liu Kang now in Mortal Kombat 1. I could have picked him as well. I mean, there were so many people I could have picked. Um, Aaron Black, absolutely honorable mention to him too. Um, he's a he's a ninja cowboy. I mean, what else could you say? This dude, <laughs> I love him because he's just like a mercenary. He, he, he'll work for the highest bidder in this case. He doesn't have any real, um, any real like allegiance with people. He's just a hired gun. You know what I'm saying? So I, I kind of admit collector also could have picked him too. I, I had so many people. I was looking at this. I'm like, there's so many people I want to pick in here. Collector was also a great character in Mortal Kombat 11 as well. Um, Nightwolf, definitely a heavy favorite. Could have picked him, but nah. It, I mean, it's just so many great favorites, but I had to narrow down on my top 10 and those were my top 10. So who are your top 10 base? That's what I want to know. Who the hell is your top 10 base people? Let me know on the ACMG Facebook group. If you're on there, if you're listening, um, 
You could go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash ACMG one. You can also make a comment possibly on my other platforms at Dex Xavier Josiah on, uh, on Instagram, mention it there on threads, whatever. Tell me who your favorites are. Um, let me know. Uh, I'm interested in finding out who your favorite characters in, in, um, in those universes as well. So, I mean, check it out. Even guest characters. You know, they had guest characters that were uh, assimilated into as well. I could also mention Goro. I can also mention Kano. I could also mention Mutaro. You know, there's so many awesome, great characters that Mortal Kombat has. And that's just a testament of the time that they had in, you know, you know, in their franchise. So I don't know, man. Respect my 10. That's all I'm saying. It's not the top 10. It's my favorite top 10. You may have yours. I'm pretty sure you're like i don't think there's a bad pick in the bunch to be honest but there are significant ones that everybody loves for their own reason and that's okay this is my top 10 i'll be interested in knowing your top 10 as well so folks that will do it for this edition of talk time live hope you guys enjoyed it i got me through i hope it got you through as well um of course this week we're gonna we're gonna uh celebrate mortal kombat we're gonna review mortal kombat uh, the Mortal Kombat 1, which if you brought the entire bundle, you get to play it early on Thursday. If you did not, it will be coming on the 19th. So we'll be talking about it on Friday because there's no way in hell I will not be beating that game in a day. <laughs> okay. And enjoying all the other things that they have in there. So we'll definitely be talking about that. Uh, I will also be back on the uh, Rampage Ramble podcast with Boris this week. I'm pretty sure I will talking about what's going on on uh aew rampage is surprised that show is still on by the way <laughs> but we will talk about that and talk about other fandom like situations as well in there too um sunday next sunday i don't know what i'm going to be doing but we will have a show nonetheless maybe i should go to the movies go check out that gran turismo movie and give my thoughts on there too little mermaid also just came out on um disney plus i could talk about that too so we definitely got stuff plus all the news going on in the world of our favorite fandoms folks if you like this show and every show that we've done including previously our last episode of select start where i reviewed saints row and all that such um please keep supporting us go to our official website on talktimelive.com and check out all of our content all of our audio episodes all of our video exclusives are there you can't miss a beat if you want to check out our exclusive um interviews my exclusive interviews with some of your favorite anime actors and video game developers and music producers and video games and all that stuff it is all there all easy to find all there on demand there as well you can also find my media page which has some of the cast of your favorite anime shows i did a panel for read pop with the cast of um bleach if you're watching bleach the thousand uh the thousand year blood war which is on now and it's awesome i have michelle roof stephanie shea and johnny young bosch ichigo uh kudasaki himself all in this panel talking about their time working on there and we do this was done before the release of the actual new anime the new bleach series is out so we at the time when i talked about that we were it was just announced that that series was coming out 
of course, due to NDAs, they couldn't talk about it. So we can't, we went around to talking about it without actually talking about their involvement with it. So you can check that out. That's on talktimelive.com on the media page. I also have an interview with the cast of that time I got reincarnated as a slime. You could catch a clip of my panel interview with the cast of My Hero Academia and the OG cast of Pokemon. So all that is there and much, much more. So folks go to talktomlife.com and check it out there. If you wish to check out, and it's all, all right. Some of my, not the, not the podcast. I should make the audio podcast of that. I gotta find out if I could do that. But all of my exclusive interviews are in both audio and video. And if you wanna watch or listen to the audio versions of anything from the interviews or past episodes, any for any game reviews that I've done, you can subscribe, you can check it out on talktimelive.com, but you can also subscribe and download to all your favorite podcast platforms. That is including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Poppy, TuneIn, Audible, you name it, we are there. We are in new places as well. So go ahead and check it out and keep supporting us and keep us growing and keep us going as always. Folks, that will do it for me on behalf of myself. Oh, I will say this again um, before I even go there. Again, this is dedicated to the life of Rose Maxine Goodman. That was her name. The reason why I'm dedicating this to her, she's a woman who I, whose family I grew up with around my way in 57th Street in here in Philadelphia. And the reason why I'm dedicating this to her is because this past Thursday evening, she was tragically shot and killed by someone who broke in and entered into her, her building. Ms. Goodman was 80 years old. She never bothered anybody. She, along with her late husband, she was a widow, but he, she, along with her late husband, raised three phenomenal kids who ended up growing up to graduating college. They were the prototypical black family. When we grew up, we all grew up with dysfunctional families and dysfunctional environments, but the Goodmans were always a family that many of us really wish we were in a lot of ways. They were tight knit. They were close. They were the family that a lot of us are. Cause when we grew up, we were like a bunch of us that were grew up. We were, I had, you know, my family separated people. I hung around there. They, they were single families and all this stuff, but the Goodmans, they were like damn near the Huxtables in a lot of ways. Um, and you know, we were, we were bandits kids. We were bandits back in the day. We were kids getting into trouble all the time. They hung, you know, they let their kids hang out with us at times, but they were very minimal at best and rightfully so to some extent, but we got it. We understood. We, it was all good. They, but they understood us too, but their kids grew up you know, the way that kids should grow up and families, the way families should be. And those kids aspire to be something great in the, in, in the community, in their lives. They lived the American dream. Her, her husband soon passed away shortly after, um, making her widower, and she stayed in that neighborhood. She was the pillar of our neighborhood in Broomall street for five decades, along with a few other people. Our black captain is still there too. Whereas all the rest of us had to move out and move to different areas and different things as well. But they stayed 
And that was supposed to be their home, a safe environment. And it just wasn't happening because at one point somebody came in and I, I don't know who this person was. They still haven't found me yet. They're still an investigation. I believe as a kid, because adults just don't do anything that reckless and stupid. I it could have been a, I, I, I don't know. I, I just have, have reason to believe that a kid stupidly did something dumb in a, in a, in the hindsight of trying to maybe rob this woman or not or whatever. But he shot her and killed her. An 80 year old woman. Didn't have to happen. It should not have happened. And as one of the ladies that was reported on in the news and said, that compromised them. Because she's not the only person of that age that lived in that block. There are other pillars in that block that has tried to keep that place clean, safe for everybody else. That should not have happened. I hope they find that killer. I hope he gets what he deserves. I hope that family all give closure. Devin, Allen. Donna, my heart goes out to you all. She was a saint and she didn't deserve a damn thing like that. My heart goes out to Avery and please pray for this family. And any family and please protect your elders. Teach your kids to protect these elders, to respect your elders, to learn from your elders. That's how I got here. I didn't learn to, uh, enough that I needed to, but enough to get me where I am today. And that's why we keep doing and keep it growing for everybody as we pay it forward. We don't do what we would happen here. With that said, rest in peace in paradise. Miss Rose Maxine Goodman. And on that note, that will do it for me, folks. On behalf of myself, this is Dax Avery Josiah saying, learn to let go, live life and love all people. And things, anime, comics, movies, and games, and each other. Keep each other safe, people. And on that note, I will talk to you guys next week. Take care. Music for this episode is provided by Game Chops. Check out these great chiptune tracks and more at music.gamechops.com.